Well, if the Bible is clear on one thing, it's crystal clear on this question. What is marriage? Yeah, one man and one woman. Duh! And a man plus wives plus concubines. Man plus woman plus woman slaves. Man plus woman plus woman plus woman polygamy. Man plus brother's widow. Rapist plus his victim. Male soldier plus prisoner of war. Male slave plus female slave. As you can see, simple. Yep, simple. That brings us to our next topic. We are Red Weather Christians. I'm Jen. I'm Steve. We're here wading through the muddy waters of what it means to be a Christian in modern society, one episode at a time. Today's episode, we will be talking about homosexuality in the Bible. Specifically talking through the points Matthew Vines makes in his book, God and the Gay Christian. And we'll be discussing our opinions on it too, of course, because that's what we do. So thanks for hanging out with us today and listening to our conversation. Remember, we want you to join the conversation too. So head to the show notes to see how you can get in touch with us. Okay, first, a clarification. In the intro, we mentioned several ways or several answers to the question of what is marriage. Really, most of those are not marriage. They're just biblically allowed sexual relations. Yikes. So (laughs) (laughs) That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Yeah. So the argument can be made that those aren't all forms of marriage. The only form of marriage then was the man and his wife or other wives or the rapist and the victim is man-wife. Yeah, I think the the biggest takeaway for me from that was just the instances of polygamy. It just seems like it's very supported in the Bible. So there you go. (laughs) So thank you, Steve, for that clarification. And second, we want to acknowledge that this is not a new topic, homosexuality, but it is new to our podcast. We've been alluding to talking about it, and we haven't really yet. So we're really excited to have this conversation. Let's start with a verse that Matthew Vine starts with in his book. It's from Matthew 7, 17 through 20, and it says, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Yeah, and because Jesus is talking here, we maybe we value the red letters a little bit more than other things in the Bible. But he says a conditional statement and it's inverse. Therefore, all the forms of this argument can be formed into logically equivalent statements. Oh my goodness. Okay, why don't you put that into layman's terms for us, Stephen? If something bears good fruit, it cannot be a bad tree. Now, that's not what Jesus said, but those statements can be made logically. Now, some of you are already thinking, fruit. What fruit could possibly come from a homosexual relationship? Yeah, if they can't produce children. Now, that's just mean, because there are plenty of heterosexual couples who also can't or choose not to produce children. You are completely correct in that. And what relationship fruit does that bear? No fruit. No fruit for you. (laughs) 
anyway, um, no. So one of the things that he talks about is that good fruit of a relationship does not mean children. Rather, think of the fruits of the spirit. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. Sorry, I was in between sips of coffee there. I can tell you the fruits of the spirit. I went to vacation Bible school every summer when I went to Tennessee, and we learned the fruits of the spirit song, and it goes a little something like this. Me, 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 me. Well, the fruit of the spirit's not a watermelon, and you say that a few times. And then it goes into love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then you sing that a bunch more times. And by virtue of that song, I memorized the fruits of the Spirit at a young age. And none of those fruits said children? No, I don't believe so. Let me go through it again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, sons. Daughters. No, daughter. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> right. So that's babies. Uh, <laughs> that, that's what we're talking about here. We want to be clear that you can display fruits of the spirit, whether you are single, whether you are a couple, whether you are a widow or widower. Are you a human? You can display a fruit of the spirit. And another thing is, even if you think homosexuality is a sin. It doesn't prevent that person from displaying fruits of the spirit because the rest of the heterosexual world also sins, surprise, and we think they display fruits of the spirit or at least can. Yes. All right. On to our next point. Biblical interpretation has led to different misunderstandings of the past, namely geocentric versus heliocentric. I thought this was a fun story right off the bat in Vine's book. One of the first things that I took notes on. So Galileo, you probably know the guy, he thought that he found proof that the earth was heliocentric. Well, that the universe was heliocentric. The earth was revolving around the sun. Right. And he started sharing his findings. Well, he was scared to share his findings because he knew the church was not going to be about that life. And, I mean, with good reason. The church did not appreciate what he had to say because there are verses in the Bible that that basically say, like, the earth is, is still and everything revolves around it. In Psalm 93, it says, the world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. And then in the book of Joshua, it says how the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. And then other verses describe the sun's motion. Ecclesiastes 1.5, for example, says, the sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. These verses make it seem that the sun is moving and not the earth. Right. So that's a problem when for over a millennia, they use the Bible to support a fundamentally flawed scientific theory of geocentrism. And nowadays... We would question anyone who doesn't believe what Galileo was condemned for. Poor guy being condemned for something that was true. He was, little note on Galileo. Galileo, Galileo. (laughs) He was forced to recant his scientific findings, and then he died penniless in, in a prison, basically, living out the rest of his days, or a monastery where he was hidden from the rest of them. He wasn't allowed to actually believe or think all the things that he found. That is messed up. Uh, So the question from that would be, what about homosexuality? Exactly. And that's how Vines kind of leads in 
to his his book, just, hey, maybe what you've believed for all your life could be wrong, and here is evidence as to why. Because people didn't start believing that what Galileo said was true until they were confronted with so much evidence that they couldn't deny it anymore. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how it is sometimes. You just you just want to believe it the way you want it. Yes, yes. But Steve, 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 what about Sodom and Gomorrah? It's the story that everybody brings up in a debate conversation about homosexuality in the Bible. Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes. So the problem with that story, of course, is Sodom was this evil town to begin with. God didn't like Sodom. Abraham pleaded with God, and we've already talked about Abraham in this particular story, about how he tried to change God's mind and wondering if God changed at all. Well, as the story unfolds, Sodom is still a terrible, evil city. But what gets highlighted in the story is that some visitors come to Lot's house. They actually are angels in disguise, but they're disguised as men. Well, they get to the house and the people of Sodom, men, came to basically... Rape them. Yes. So because it was men on men, we we see that as homosexuality. However, and this is paralleled in other stories, at least one other in the Bible that Vines brings up, of a greater sin, which is inhospitality or just evil in general. Yes, uh, arrogance, violence, and then the lack of hospitality, Vines mentions as the three major issues with Sodom. The little note that they came and they're like, let us have the men in your house so that we can rape them, was not so much the homosexual act as it was the demeaning act within a patriarchal society. Right, and Vines also talks about this quite a bit in his book, and that is dominant versus passive roles, and that they are more important than gender. I mean, gender has to do with who is dominant and who is passive, but it's all about, like, if you are in the man's role of sex, you are dominant, and if you are in the female role, you are passive. If a man is in the female role, that man would be considered in a passive role, that would be more of the sin than anything else, was that he was in a passive role, not that he was a man necessarily. Right. And when Leviticus declares that an abomination and for both of them to be killed, it is because the dominant role made another man passive and the passive man allowed another man to make him passive. Both abominations in the patriarchal society. Which brings us to this other point that is used to refute other verses in the Bible, more importantly, the New Testament verses, where Paul condemns men trading natural relations for unnatural ones. This is in Romans 1. It's also very commonly referred to in this conversation about homosexuality. Well, I just have a quote here from page 11. And it says, Leviticus prohibits male same-sex relations, but it uses similar language to prohibit the eating of shellfish. And while Paul did describe same-sex relations as, quote, unnatural, he also wrote that for men to wear their hair long was contrary to, quote, nature. Yet Christians no longer regard eating shellfish or men having long hair as sinful. 
So he's just kind of reiterating the need for a more, more comprehensive look at Scripture here. And it's often looked at in that Romans 1 for the unnatural relations. The unnatural part was not necessarily the same sex relation, but the lustful relation, the extramarital relation. That's where it was problematic. Yeah, and actually the Bible does not address same-sex orientation at all. Like, there's no language for that in the Bible whatsoever. Um, Now, I say that, and you might open up your Bible and be like, well, what about this? What about that? Take a look at your translation and go back to the original text because it probably didn't have any of the words like, I don't think the word homosexual was never originally in the Bible. Nothing about like same-sex marriage or orientation. None of that is in the Bible originally. It might start sneaking in now just because of translations and Christians' agenda on having maybe an anti-homosexual translation. Right. And so Matthew Vines goes back and and tries his best, although he admits he's not a biblical scholar, as we are not, uh, to look at the Hebrew and the Greek. And that's what Jen's talking about here. The Hebrew and the Greek didn't have a word for this. So we don't actually have that word, homosexual, in the Bible. Yeah, and people really like to use the word natural, unnatural. We were just talking about it. Um, Unnatural relations and talk about anatomical complementarity. And that is also never mentioned in the Bible. It's certainly not supported by the text. But I have heard Christians talk about this. I'm sure you have too. That because a man and a woman fit anatomically together, then that's why they are natural. There are so many, so many arguments <laughs> that we could make on this one. Just one that comes to mind. I think we may have mentioned this this person that we know in our life who, yeah, she was born and her parents kind of decided what gender she was going to be because she was born with both parts, just naturally born that way. I mean, what do Christians have to say about that? So, you know, she's never going to be able to have children. And I don't know what the inner workings are for her exactly, anatomically speaking, but I don't know how well she, quote, fits together with a man, you know? So this whole fit together thing, ah. Well, the other argument for natural, of course, is procreation. And that would be great if that's all we use sex for. We don't. You have heterosexual couples who have sex that is in no way going to make a baby. Right, right, right. And that's that's a whole other argument, too, as far as the, the anatomical complementarity is, well, sorry to say it, but what about anal sex between two heterosexual people? And what if they're Christians? What do you have to say about that? Yeah, lots of questions, and we don't purport to have all the answers. We like to have this conversation. We are much more open to having these conversations than than we were 20 years ago. But another thing that comes up in his book, it's only mentioned in the New Testament, nothing in Leviticus, about female same-sex relationships. Females, who are they? They don't count. (laughs) 
Right. They're lesser, right? Actually, I don't think they did count in like census. No, they absolutely didn't. It was, right. it was like 40,000 men. Uh, some other people that were there too. Oh, well. Uh, so let's talk about another thing that just comes up in the Christian community regarding LGBTQ thoughts. And that is the stance a Christian can take. That is an affirming stance or a non-affirming stance. The affirming stance would be that you can affirm a gay or bi or lesbian person and they can be Christian. A non-affirming would say you can't be. You can love them, but you can't say what they're doing is okay. That's our main difference. I think that was kind of mostly how I was raised in thinking and being taught that, yeah, technically it is a sin, but you don't treat them any differently than anybody else. You love them. You are friends with them. You hang out with them. Lots of love. Don't judge. But at the end of the day, it's a sin. That's what I was taught. So while there was room for some grace, it was still considered a sin for me growing up. Right. And and I also heard, fine, you are welcome to be or identify as homosexual. However, if you practice homosexuality, that is the sin and that leads your life astray. So you would not be able to practice it. You would be in a form of forced celibacy. Matthew Vine spends a whole chapter discussing forced celibacy. We often treat celibacy as a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are not forced upon people. And that's a major problem. If you're going to tell all homosexuals, you have to be celibate. You have to have the spiritual gift now. Like, whoa, that is something that God gives someone. And it might not be what he gives all homosexual people. Well, just a quick aside, I don't want to forget to tell this story, and it doesn't have to do with the forced celibacy, but I was just thinking about how when I was growing up, what I was taught and everything, and then how I also happened to have a gay uncle whom I loved. I was very close with him, and we would go on like little dates. He would take me to lunch. He would take me to like concerts and stuff, and you know, I loved him. He has since passed away, Um, but at the time when Steve and I were just married, we were fresh out of college, we simply needed jobs to be able to tell our future apartment complex so that we could sign a contract and get an apartment. We interviewed at, interview is a little euphemistic for what process we went through, but anyway, we ended up getting a job at this Christian school. And, but before we were officially hired, we had to sign the contract, of course. Well, in the contract, it actually had a section about homosexuality. Uh, Item 16. (laughs) The memory of an elephant, that one. And it talked about, well, maybe you should say, because you're going to remember the wording better, but it was like, I basically, I promise that I will not hang around with homosexual people. The, the words were, I will not... Probably not hang around. <laughs> I will not associate or affiliate myself with homosexuals. And we're like, uh, that's a tough one to sign. You're essentially signing you cannot talk to or hang out with your uncle anymore. I mean, obviously we read it and we're like, well, that's totally ridiculous. 
And I remember writing a note like, no, my uncle's gay. And I wouldn't do this even if I didn't have a gay uncle. Like that's <laughs> yes. so dumb. Like as a Christian, especially, and as an evangelical Christian, even more especially, you're supposed to go out and like tell the world about Jesus and be like, I will not associate with homosexuals. Ugh. Yeah, not cool. And so, yeah, we, we crossed that part off and signed the contract, but... There are things like that in the Christian community that persist. Even, you know, it's almost been 20 years since that document. And Matthew Vines is writing this because he's gay and he didn't know how his parents were going to react. He didn't know how to go on being a Christian because he still believed in the basic tenets of Christianity, just not this. Yes, still believes present tense. He, I would say, is a more conservative Christian than probably Steve and I are. <laughs> yeah, we joked about that, that he, in, in the book, he describes himself as having a high view of scripture where he wants scripture to maintain its inerrancy, infallibility. And because of that, we would see him maybe as more conservative than we are. Yeah, yeah. As far as inerrancy of the Bible, I just don't think that we see the Bible as inerrant anymore at this point in our lives. Fun side note to that as well. Could be a totally separate podcast. I have a colleague here who, with his Bible classes, and he's a Bible teacher here, he talks about how inerrancy, infallibility, although there are biblical verses to support it, was more of a 19th century North American construct. Boy, do we love our rules. And I, I need to dive into that. I need to talk to him more. We need to go back and forth because... Wow, if that's the case... Isn't that a kick in the pants? And we also want to come back to the topic we started with, which was marriage. Marriage. Ah, irresistible. <laughs> is what brings us together today. So, this is difficult. Love. True love. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> this is difficult because... For so long, we have prohibited in the Christian communities homosexual marriages. And I don't think that Matthew Vines ultimately led to this subtitle of his book, The Biblical Case in Support of Same-Sex Relationships. I don't think he's got biblical support for that. When reading his arguments, I basically think that the Bible doesn't talk about it and that there's not support, but there's also not condemnation. Right. That's important. So what's our role? If the Bible doesn't support it, can we support it? Well, I think there are lots of things that happen in this world that aren't actually written about in the Bible. Step one. The other is he's arguing for like marriage, which what is that? It's a long-term monogamous, loving, hopefully healthy, beneficial relationship. Bearing good fruit. <laughs> we'll get back Not to Not necessarily children. <laughs> right. And then some questions on that point of children. Can gay parents adopt? Should they be able to adopt? Is that going to mess up the kids? Like Once again, I go to the basics of if these parents, and they happen to both be men, are going to raise and love a child that otherwise doesn't have parents, my goodness, let them raise that child. Yeah. There are plenty of heterosexual couples out there who are doing a lot more damage to their children than a couple of gay guys who love on their kid a whole lot. So we come back to 
what do we do as Christians? I put this last point as judgment versus accountability. We are told to hold our Christian brothers and sisters accountable to help them when they might be going off the path, the straight and narrow, shall we say, and guide them back to the light. Indeed. But what does that accountability look like? From what our experiences have been, Christians do enjoy accountability with this topic, but it certainly comes across as judgmental and pointing at somebody else's sin. Now, I'm saying that I'm talking about a group of Christians, myself not included, who believe that homosexuality is a sin. So to that end, they believe that they need to hold homosexuals accountable by helping them realize their sin and change their ways. But the question that Steve and I have for these Christians is what good is coming from what you're doing? Right. When we talk about judgment versus accountability, judgment is left for God. He ultimately decides if he's going to choose to condemn their life, that's his choice to make. And I have to tell you that even though I was raised my entire life to believe that homosexuality is a sin, even though I had a gay uncle whom I loved, I'm not at that point in my life anymore. And having read this book validated that as well, because Matthew Vines really does go through pretty meticulously to talk about all the verses in the Bible that mention anything that could possibly be interpreted as same sex. And he he goes through and discusses how we could have interpreted it wrong. The translation could have started using a word that was not in the original text. And it's all very logical. It's very clear. It's well-written. Um, and it's full of information. I, I recommend everyone reading this book for sure. And I would hope that family and friends listening, because they heard us talk about it on this podcast, they'll pick it up and read it. It's not a difficult read. It is really interesting. I definitely rated it a five stars on Goodreads, <laughs> you know, as I do. I love my books. And he even recommends other authors if you want some someone who's maybe more respectable than Matthew Vines as far as uh, career and education. He talks about James Brownson and how his opinion changed when he realized he had a gay son. Matthew Vines also talks about his own father. Spoiler alert, his father doesn't hate him. And his father supports him. He is an affirming Christian now. Which did cause a huge split from Matthew Vines' home church and all this drama, of course, because that is typically what happens when you've grown up in a church that is non-affirming. And that's, that's sad. It's a sad reality, but his father is affirming now, and that is a happy reality. And so when we come to our judgment of homosexuals, I say our because we definitely judge them before in our lives. It did not, it will not bear good fruit. That judgment isn't good for anyone. Yeah, by my judging homosexuals as sinning, did any good come from that? Did I do anything by my judging that that changed behavior or produced anything good? 
No, nothing good. Nothing good came from it. And what does Jesus tell us to do? Judge others. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. If, Throw stones. <laughs> if you are, are without sin, yes. Oh, okay. He did say that. Wow, so many people on, in this world are without sin. That's crazy. I know. Well, of course, if they don't believe in sin in general, then they're without it. So, anyway, but what did Jesus tell us to do with a tree that doesn't produce good fruit? Chop it down. And throw it in the fire. Coming at you, straight out of the closet, we are Red Weather Christians. I'm Steve. And I'm Jen. Keep the conversation going.